0: I usually have to do a lot of vocal warm-ups in the morning when I have to record the Hubcast early. Like a little vocal calisthenics? or else my voice will sound like this. Welcome to the (laughs) lab. (laughs) (laughs) It's Halloween.
1: What is it like? How now, brown cow?
0: Yeah. And mommy makes me munch my M&M's. I'm sorry, what? I've never heard that one. You've never heard mommy makes me munch my M&M's? Never. That's a classic.
1: Mommy makes me munch my M&Ms.
0: Yeah. And then you you know like go up the scale. Mommy makes me munch my M&Ms. Mm. Mommy makes me munch my M&Ms. Sound good? You sound great. All right, great.
1: Welcome to the Content Lab the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create the addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impacts Director of Web and Interactive Content. Welcome to another episode of the Content Lab, everybody. I'm going to keep today's introduction short and sweet because it is the last day before I leave for vacation tomorrow on a plane to sunny Florida for my birthday, but that also means my to-do list is about 1,000 miles long, and uh, I have a sales team that has 18 things they're expecting for me before I leave today. So with that, let's dive right in. I've been working with Karina Duffy, our resident HubSpot and inbound specialist on a piece of pillar content about HubSpot marketing, and that's part of a larger pillar content strategy that I have been working on now for the past few months. But now that she's almost to the end of her writing marathon, with me cracking the whip and walking her through the process of what it really takes to create a piece of pillar content, I wanted her to share her experience with my listeners. I wanted her to share a candid pillar content creation retrospective, if you will, on what surprised her, what she's learned, and what advice she would give to others who have a similar mountain to climb. I would consider this a must-listen for anyone who is tackling a pillar content strategy or is being asked to write a piece of pillar content or any large long-form piece for that matter. But before I kick it over to the interview, again, since it's vacation week, there's going to be no one thing or weekly awesome after this interview in this episode. I love you all dearly, but mama's got work to do. However, if you want to get in touch with me in between this week's episode and the next, find me on Twitter and Instagram at NaptownPint. Also, love or hate the Content Lab, don't forget to leave a review for this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your podcast provider of choice. By doing that, you'll help me make this podcast as valuable as possible. Plus, you'll help others find this podcast as well. And with that, here's my interview with Karina. Hi, Karina.
0: Hey, Liz. How's it going? Oh, it's going good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to be here.
1: So for those who somehow have gone their entire lives and not met the one, the only, Karina Lulbets Duffy, who are you, who you be, what you do?
0: I am, first of all, a person. Um, No, I am Impact HubSpot Specialist, which essentially means my entire job is... Knowing HubSpot like the back of my hand, knowing everything there is possibly to know about HubSpot and helping other people get the most out of the tools. So, I work with people who are just starting to use the tools and have never touched them before, to people who have been using them for years and are feeling like, man, we just, we just aren't doing the most with them. We don't feel like we're using them to their fullest potential. So that's that's pretty much what I get to do every day. It's a mix of consulting with people and on an ongoing basis and on-site trainings and workshops where I actually get to go to people's offices, sit face-to-face with their teams, hash things out. It's, it's a lot of fun. That sounds
1: really cool. And it must be a super easy job, too, considering HubSpot never changes, right? Yeah, it's always HubSpot
0: never thing. changes. It's, you know there's really only one or two things it does. So, you know, I just kind of show people that and then they're successful and that's it. So you're just coasting. Yeah. just coasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they just, they like to just release new hubs whenever they feel like it Yeah, and you know, major enterprise level features and things. So they, you know, they keep me on my toes. No bigs. No bigs. Yeah. It's totally cool.
1: Well, we didn't actually bring you here to talk about HubSpot, although HubSpot is pretty dope. We brought you here today, and by we, I mean me. It's kind of like a sequel to the very first episode of this podcast when I actually had Justin Champion from HubSpot come on to talk about demystifying the idea of pillar content. And for those who are unaware of it, pillar content is essentially the center of a larger new model of content architecture that allows you to better organize your website, while also ensuring that the little robots of Google, Bing, and I get—I guess Yahoo, uh, I don't
0: know. Why, though?
1: I, why, why? Um, it makes it easier for your content to get found. It's an interconnected strategy. And as I said, at the center of this is a piece of pillar content. And often this piece of pillar content manifests itself as the most definitive resource on a particular broad topic. And the reason why I have brought Karina on today is because she has been within my snares, within my grasp now for a few weeks, because you have been writing,
0: help Help me.
1: I'm laughing but this is a cry for help. Um, (laughs) you have been within my grasp because you have been writing one on HubSpot marketing. So I thought it would actually be very interesting today since you were someone who taught pillar content, worked with clients to create pillar content, and understood the concept, but then you've also now had to start writing one yourself, which can be quite the undertaking for a lot of people. And I think it might, I thought it might be a valuable conversation for you to come on and, and share your experience thus far.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been a wild time and you kind of, you hit the nail on the head with, I've been teaching people about pillar content ever since HubSpot decided that they were going all in on pillar content and the topic cluster strategy. You know when when HubSpot announced that they were deprecating the keywords tool and for those of you who aren't using HubSpot, it was just a, a kind of an easy way to do keyword research, see what keywords you were ranking for and HubSpot basically said we're getting rid of it. We're sunsetting it and we're going all in on a new content strategy around pillar content and topic clusters. And they created some new tools around that. And people flipped out. People were, were mad. They were shocked, but it started this whole conversation and, you know, really kind of started to snowball with, okay, why is HubSpot doing this? They're obviously doing it for a reason. And I think they really, really set, set some wheels turning for a lot of people to take this stuff more seriously and then you know liz murphy decides to you know be just a pillar content ninja and
1: actually it was by force a few years ago kathleen (laughs) was like i see this thing happening i said yes it looks terrifying kathleen booth is our vp of marketing she's like you should do that And I just start kind of laughing and crying at the
0: same time. And then she's like, yeah, you're going to do that. And that's where I am today. (laughs) Yeah. Kathleen's way ahead of the game on these things, which, which is awesome. And I, so I started watching impact do it. I wasn't doing pillar content, but I was watching impact do it. We created, you know, that website redesign pillar and I saw that and I thought, this is so stinking awesome. And it makes so much sense because also pillar content and topic clusters, they speak my love language of organization. Your love language is organization? <laughs> no, it's not.
1: Oh, it's man. Where, I got excited. It's words
0: of like, affirmation. I'm just going to go to the container store for our next anniversary. <laughs> I do really thrive off of of, of organization mm-hmm. um, and also words of affirmation if anybody is wondering. but the the organization of all of it and having a place where it's so it just makes so much sense when you put all of your content into a topic cluster strategy it's so much easier to identify gaps it's so much easier to wrap your head around like what kind of content i need to be creating and how i should be creating it so i just dove in And I started researching pillar content, started looking at what Impact was doing, um, started looking at all of the research that HubSpot had been doing on it, and I was sold. So I started developing with my ongoing training clients. I have calls with them every week, and we go through not just HubSpot tools, but we go through inbound strategies, and we talk about all kinds of things outside of the tools that help us do stuff inside of the tools. And when I saw pillar content and topic clusters gaining momentum, I just knew that I had to build some trainings around that. So I basically just stole your stuff, Liz. Uh, I, I literally did that. Yeah, so this, <laughs> awesome, this awesome deck explaining what topic clusters were, what pillar content was, and what this whole new content strategy is and how you can do it. So I started training my my clients on that, and I started helping them organize their content into these strategies, rethink some of the topics that they may have been targeting and the ways that they were targeting them. And then a month or two ago, Liz approaches me about writing.
1: That's I started with words of affirmation. You're so pretty and
0: smart. Yeah, that's how she got me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew, you know, of course, my initial reaction was, oh, great. (laughs) I knew knew this would happen at some point in my life, um, especially as I've been training people on doing this. Um, But I also knew in my head, one, that we needed this pillar. We needed this pillar on HubSpot because... If I am somebody whose job it is to help people get the most out of HubSpot, I need to be producing the most helpful content around HubSpot, helping people know which levels of HubSpot to buy and understand what HubSpot is at its core. And so I, you know, of course, had a mix of, uh, you know, trepidation and also excitement because I knew that this was good. I needed to take my medicine and buck up. And do it. How am I doing so far, Liz? Is this uh... you're doing great, man? Yeah, great. So the the process, though, of writing, doing the pillar content, I think has been a mix a mix of emotions, which I think it is for most people. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that, and this is the problem that I've
1: seen with the conversation of pillar content. People get wrapped up in in how big it has to be, and it mm-hmm. is a mountain I think unto itself to climb.
0: Definitely, it feels really big, but it's also, when you're writing a page that you are the subject matter expert on or your organization is the, are the subject matter experts on, there's certain things I think that happen in the process and I think that this is the biggest thing that I've learned. There's certain things that happen in the process of writing this and that you and I kind of hashed through that really freed me up to feel like it was less of a big thing so I think it's really easy to look at pillar content and even look at you know I look at other pillars that impact has put out and I'm like oh my gosh this brand messaging pillar is amazing I don't know anything about brand messaging and there's all of this information about brand messaging in here and how would I ever do that? Well, I would never do that. I would never write the pillar on brand messaging because that's not, I'm not a subject matter expert in that. Um, but I do happen or some people seem to think that I'm a subject matter expert on the HubSpot marketing tools. And so starting there, I think was the first thing that kind of freed me up to be like, okay, this is gonna be work. Of course, it's going to be a lot of work, but one, it's going to be worth it. And two, it's going to be okay. And then the second thing that I found just incredibly helpful was starting with the outline of, and, and Liz, you you said this better than I can, and I'm completely paraphrasing, but you essentially had me brain dump on all of the things that if somebody was essentially curious about HubSpot marketing or potentially looking for an marketing automation tool What would they need to know? What would I tell them? And that became the outline. um, And I fleshed out the outline. And I think my outline ended up being like eight pages long.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty intense outline. And and that was an interesting process to go through because... What's interesting about pillar content is typically speaking, the, the types of search terms that you're going after tend to be pretty broad. So for example, HubSpot marketing, or website redesign, or brand messaging strategy. like These are big, meaty, to broad terms that don't necessarily at first glance lend itself to determining intent. So that conversation we had, really that first one was determining, okay, what is the intent of this person? And once we understood who this was, exactly what you talked about you know now let's sit here and dump all of the thoughts out on your of your brain of everything you would want to say to this person you know what problem are we actually going to solve for them why is the information that we're providing valuable and i love the way you phrased it because you said essentially you want to break through the noise of that sales utopia as you like to call it Mm -hmm. and then once we had all the thoughts out of your head then we sat there and organized all the pieces and put them in the right order
0: yep Yeah. Yeah. And having that, because there was no, it wasn't like, okay, your outline has to be this long or it has to be anything. It was just get everything from your head out there about how you would help somebody, you know, essentially figure out, like learn about HubSpot marketing tools and figure out if it's right for them. And there's so many different pieces of that, that writing that outline for me was pretty easy because it was and I like to think of it and I tell my clients this you know if somebody came and said tell me about hubspot marketing what's the conversation that I would have with them you know there's a lot of uh, I would say you know okay the first thing that you need to know about hubspot marketing is this and then once you understand that then we get into some of these different areas of marketing automation or all of these different tools and so there's a logical way that I'm going to talk to somebody about this and that really kind of became my outline and the flow of the page i think the next thing that really freed me up is you know as i was sort of just working through this outline and fleshing out each piece of the outline into an actual you know page i think that i i felt this pressure that this is going to be you know a full big Fancy page on the Impact site. Somebody's going to design this. It's going to be this really nice looking thing. It's going to be representing Impact. I got to like really button it up here and make sure that I'm, you know, sounding really professional. And not that I really thought any of this like specifically or articulated that. But Liz, as you were reviewing it, you said something to me like, don't be afraid to use your unique voice and your tone in this whole page and that was something that I was holding back on because I felt like oh this has to be like by impact and this has to sound like it's like I don't know written by an organization as opposed to a person or something like that which when I say that I'm like no that's terrible I don't want any of my clients to do that (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, I think the funny thing is, and and obviously,
1: we do have the luxury of having a brand that really embraces the individuality of our people. And we often say, we often say internally, our product is our people. Now, granted, for some organizations, that may not be the case, and there may be a level level of propriety propriety based on a brand style or industry that you may need to embrace but I will say I think that sometimes there is this natural fear whether you're talking about pillar content or something else to embrace individuality and to have your humans that work for you actually sound like humans and you know it's it's as if sometimes people will sit down at a keyboard and say okay this is me Liz typing Let me be fancier now. Let me Mm -hmm. use words I would never actually use and phrase things in a way that I would never actually phrase them, which is frustrating Mm -hmm. because it makes the whole act of content creation significantly harder because you have to suddenly put all of these thoughts and ideas the way you would normally phrase them to prospects who are sitting across from you or in a meeting or on a conference call and put them through this filter of completely unnatural language yeah it's a bummer i don't know that's my little that's my little soapbox
0: it is and it was so freeing for me when you said just write like it's you and add things that are you know in the first person like karina's pro tips like you gotta if you want my real raw uh, honest opinion on some of these things or my experiential knowledge you know, all of that's going to come through in the whole page, but there's like, you know, little tidbits that I can throw in there. And that made it honestly a lot more fun for me because it felt like I was just, it's almost like I'm writing a letter to somebody. Like I'm really trying to like talk to real people and say things in a way that real people will understand rather than trying to keep it really buttoned up. And what I think is interesting kind of anecdotally is The week that you said that to me, Liz, I was reviewing a piece of pillar content with a client who honestly has such a fun tone of voice. They're in a really boring industry and they know that. And so a big part of their branding and their tone is we're going to have fun with this because everybody in this industry is boring and they are always kind of joking around. Their calls to action are like ridiculous. They just, they're really fun. And when you read their stuff and their blog posts, it's really fun. And they wrote this piece of pillar content and it was just, it was very kind of buttoned up factual, like, you know, just all of the facts and figures about everything. And we were talking through it and I was like, well, you know, why don't you, why doesn't this sound like the rest of your content, where you guys are having fun with it, you guys are acknowledging that you're in, you know, a less than exciting industry, but this stuff is still important, and you can still have a lot of fun with it, and it was, like, I could see those light bulbs going off, just like they had for me the week before, with, like, this, like, weight lifted off of their shoulders, like, oh, yeah, like, that's gonna make this a lot better and a lot easier to write. And when we look at it from that perspective and also from the perspective of, you know, don't think about word count. Don't think about how long it needs to be. Just get it, get it on the plate. We that's my favorite. Do you have any Chopped fans fan. out there? <laughs> get it on the plate. Just yeah, like are. get it, like answer the question, right? That's what you always say, Liz, is answer the question. Say it until the question is, is, yeah is answered.
1: Write until you're done.
0: Yeah. The
1: most definitive piece of, like, I think people freak out because they're like, oh my God, holistically, this needs to be the most definitive authoritative guide that has ever been created ever on this topic. And that's what they should be. But the best part is that if you've done your homework and created an outline where essentially each section should answer a specific question in some way about that larger topic, all you have to do is write until you're done. And in some cases, that section may end up being four to 500 words. And in a lot of cases, it'll end up being 800 to like 1500 words. And when you put it all together, you have the most definitive guide. And I think that's what people get wrong. They get so overwhelmed by this large piece that they have to create. When really, if they're, if they're using what I think is the right approach to inbound, which is Impact's approach to inbound, where with our new inbound manifesto that we unveiled at Impact Live, where essentially we talk about to be inbound is to be obsessed with helping others, helping them lead them to success. And if you apply that litmus test to everything that you're writing, if you can honestly say whether it's 500 words or a 1000 words that you were the, as helpful as you possibly
0: could have been in that section then you've done your job. I love it. And I I think breaking it up, doing the outline and that that's what we did is, you know, doing the outline and we said okay there's 16 sections of this outline so we're going to do four a week that we're actually going to flush out um, and breaking it up like that for me, you know, maybe for other people that's, you know, Not as helpful, but for my, you know, organizational brain, that was, you know, that made it feel less big because it was like, all right, I have this outline and I'm going to do like four of these sections a week. And that feels achievable when I break it down week to week versus I got to write this entire thing over the course of a month. And I'm just going to have to figure out how to write all of it. Um, So break it down into smaller pieces if, you know, you need to if that's, if the bigness of it is overwhelming, just start with one section, start with the first section, and then do the next section, and do the next section, and I was, I've been so surprised as I'm finishing up my, the writing of my pillar page, scrolling through all the things that I've written, I want to throw up, I can't even believe that I wrote all of that, and I want to call my high school English teacher, and be like, this is McGovern, are you proud of me yet? Are you proud of me? Look at what I've done! <laughs> I did it all for you. <laughs> yeah. Was it worth it yeah like it's and it feel it feels amazing honestly it feels like a big accomplishment because it was it was a it was a hard work, but it was it's one of those things where i so I'm so bought in to the value of it and to helping people understand and be better educated about the HubSpot tools before they buy them that it's it just feels awesome to be putting out a piece of content like that versus just writing a little, you know, 800 word blog post about you know, one of the tools or something like that.
1: So that's a question I have for you because one of the things that is, and I say this as someone who, by the way, and, and this is something I like to be able to do with any of the content projects I bring people on. I generally don't like to be that person who asks somebody to do something I'm not 100% willing to do myself. And I slogged through my own. I have one on content style, guys. It's about to go up and it's like beautiful. I got to the end, like it's 8,000 words. And it's beautiful, but it was Painful to get through. Like mm-hmm. it's like when you run a marathon or you're training for a marathon or you're doing anything that requires, you know, commitment in order to feel that sense of accomplishment. How did you work through those moments where you just stopped looking at your feet and putting one fo- foot in front of the other, so to speak, and then looked at the top of the mountain that you were trying to get to and kind of got over those moments of,
0: oh my God, I still have so much. Uh, Xanax. No, okay. um, I, hmm, I think I, I tried to think about the big picture. One, I also knew that my colleagues are working on similar things, you know, and I know I'm bought in for the team, um, knowing that this is something that is going to be great for us as an organization. Um, And that I have colleagues, including Liz, who are working on similar things for their areas of expertise. And so, you know, I think having that as my starter perspective, and not that I always felt that way, but I at least tried to speak that to myself, knowing that that's... I appreciate the honesty. (laughs) I would say the words, they would feel hollow, but I would try. (laughs) This is going to be great, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm I'm the type of person that if I decide that I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it. Like I'm not, I'm. It's sometimes hard to get me to to decide that I'm gonna do something, but if you can get me to decide that I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And I also this is probably just an entirely unwarranted tangent, but for me. I really thrive off of what words of affirmation we've talked about. Um, But I also, so I read this book called The Fascination Languages. Have you ever read this book, Liz? I actually have not. It's by Sally Hogshead, maybe the best name ever. And it's another kind of personality test, um, personality indicators, but it's all about fascination languages and it's how you fascinate other people and how you're fascinated by other things or other people and so there's things like um like listening um like passion intuition but my two biggest fascination languages are power and prestige so i like to be like I like to do things that are prestigious or appear prestigious. So I, there's like a level of excellence that I am always attracted by. Um, And so for me feeling like somebody thinks that I'm a subject matter expert, like somebody thinks that I have a level of excellence that warrants me doing something like this. Like that's a huge motivator for me, honestly. Um, And the power piece of it is, you know, I'm very, it's kind of very interconnected. Like I, I like to be in the leadership position. I like to be kind of leading the charge on things. And so doing something like this kind of positions me as that, as that as well. And so something like that, um, and sort of, you know, me being positioned as that has kind of been something that's motivated me through that, I think subconsciously as well to feel like, wow, I'm going to put out this piece and I'm going to be positioned as this go to resource on HubSpot. And that's amazing and that's exciting to me. What would you say, aside
1: from the stuff that you've already mentioned, that was the most surprising about this pillar content process that you wish you could either go back and tell younger, more naive Karina or others who may be, you know,
0: nervous about jumping in feet first into something like this? It was surprising how when I got into it and started doing it, how not overwhelming it was. I thought that it was going to be overwhelming. Um, But like I said, when we broke it down, when I started with an outline and then I just broke down the outline into chunks and I just did one section at a time, it wasn't overwhelming. Yeah. I I had to make time. I had to schedule out, you know, I've had to schedule out time and work a little bit extra and, but that was all kind of expected, but the actual doing of the thing was just not as much of a thing as I thought it would be, if that makes sense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It kind of does. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it does come down to those preparation stages and that's why I think you and I actually spent about a week and a half or so, and not with, you know, it, we had to make sure that the process was manageable for you because you also have a lot of client work to manage. And I have a bu- bunch of other pillars that I'm working with people on. So when I say a week and a half, it was really across kind of like two, two and a half working sessions. Of And the first one was the strategy kickoff. So you and I sat down and the first half of the conversation was really deep diving into who do we think this audience is? Who do we think what do we think their intent is? Okay, is that really who they are? Is that really what their intent is? And then determining if that's who they are, what problem are they solving? And then from there, working on what I call the table of contents. It's not a full outline, but if we think about generally when we brain dump everything we want to talk about, these are generally the sections. And then we started going into outline development. So it's a lot of it's a lot of foundational work, but it makes the actual act of writing. I mean, you're never going to have writing not feel like work in some regret. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, it flows freely. This is like watching TV. It's so much fun. Like, it's not yeah. like that, but it does, I hope, make it easier, you know? Definitely. So what's been the hardest part?
0: I think the hardest part for me has been setting aside the time to work on it because, you know, this is pretty much in a, you know, an above and beyond kind of a project where I'm not necessarily, nobody's saying, Hey, Karina, take, you know, a day out of your week to write this. Um, And not that I don't have time during my normal schedule to potentially do something like this, but, you know, things come up every week. And there's been, you know, times where I've blocked out a morning to write my pillar and then something comes up with a client or I need to schedule a call with a prospect or things come up and I realize, okay, at the beginning of this day, I thought I was going to (laughs) be done with this section and I haven't touched it. Um, So I think the discipline to to actually like just sit down and write it. Like when I've sat down and write it, I've been like, okay, this isn't so bad. I'm just writing, I'm just writing. But like, it's almost, you know, even some of the little, you know, the little, you know, hurdles to overcome of just writing each section can sometimes feel bigger than they really are before I actually start doing it. And so, you know, really carving out and prioritizing the time to make sure that I'm just sitting down and and writing has been probably the most difficult for me. So final question.
1: Let's say I'm someone who's been listening to this and the concept of pillar content is overwhelming just in a theoretical sense. But this is something that our organization has bought into and we wanna give it the old college try, right? What is the most important thing you want me to walk away from this discussion remembering?
0: That was deep, Liz. That was really deep. I try. I would say I want you to know that your pillar piece, one, the writing of it doesn't have to be, you don't have to get everything perfect right away, right? Like. You don't have to like focus on like I gotta I gotta say every single tiny little thing and I have to you know button it up and and do it all. Um, there can be you know a sense of like let's get all the big stuff, especially if it's going to be a pretty extensive, exhaustive resource. Um, you know, say what needs to be said, but there's always going to be room for more. There's always going to be room for more explanation. There's always going to be more that you could say. Um, So, you know, don't be so concerned, maybe. And maybe I'm not saying this exactly right. You can totally correct my blabber, Liz. But, you know, don't be so overwhelmed by feeling like you have to just like think of everything. Um, Just get it down, get it on the plate. And go from there. And I think one of the one of the coolest things about like topic clusters and pillar content is rather than being in a place where I always got to think of like oh what's like some new keyword I can target or new topic I can talk about and write a blog post on, maybe it's just going back and looking at okay, rather than writing a whole net new blog, I'm going to go back to my pillar and make it better. I'm going to iterate on it and edit it and add some sections Or I'm going to look at my topic cluster and figure out a new post to put in there. And so once you have those things set up, I think it really does change your perspective on how you're creating content and it can free you up in more than one way with, you know, I'm not just I don't just always have to be like creating net new blog articles and content all of the time like there's a lot of value in iterating and making better what we already have and so know that as you're creating your pillar it's not like you publish it and it has to be perfect and you're never going to touch it again you can get it out there and you can continue to iterate and improve on it so don't feel like you have to spend a year polishing it until it's perfect and then when oh, you yeah. actually publish it it's outdated anyway. A hundred percent. I mean, I actually take
1: the growth-driven design approach to pillar content, and that's for two reasons. One, you know, perfect is the enemy of good. And for those who aren't familiar with growth-driven design, essentially the principle in a very like low rent, Cliffs notes, leaving out a lot of stuff version is you go to market with a launch pad website that essentially has the most essential elements that your website needs to have, and then you use data and research and agile iteration cycles to continue to improve that website to get it to where it needs to be. And I use that process with content as well because A, like I said, it keeps you from that analysis paralysis and B, you know, Google and other search engines value freshness. And if you keep going back and like tweaking here and there, you know, your different pillars and adding sections and continuing to grow out your topic cluster, that is a great way to show Google that this definitive piece of content on a topic that you really want to know, be known as an authority on is gonna to continue to grow, to be developed, to be improved, which is gonna create a more relevant resource that is more helpful to people and search engines just flat out favorite. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I know that if people just heard you today, fell in love with that delightful voice, and want to hear more of you, they have the ability to do so also once a week,
0: right? They do. How
1: do they do that?
0: Every once in a while, and by once in a while I mean week, I co-host the Hubcast, which is a HubSpot-specific podcast with the one and only Marcus Sheridan, and we talk about all things HubSpot. We also talk about you know what's going on in the HubSpot world, which oftentimes includes things like inbound strategies and trends and all of that good stuff. It's a lot of fun. If you like, you know, if you're using HubSpot or you're interested in HubSpot and you want to just keep learning and hearing about how other people are using the tools, it's pretty much what we talk about all the time. I like to nerd out. It's a lot of fun. You can always hit me up on Twitter at Karina G Duffy, C-A-R-I-N-A. Or you can hit me up on email. I freely give out my email, which most people don't do, but it's cduffy at impactbnd.com. If you have questions about anything or you want to talk about fascination languages, feel free to hit me up. Well, thank you for joining me today.
1: Have a great, what is it? Is today Wednesday? Oh, it's Wednesday. Oh my God. What, what's that quote it's from Wednesday, 30? my dudes. What a week, huh? lemon it's wednesday yes <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for joining me bye thanks
0: for having me bye